Hello. This is called Shake Dog Shake. Hey, Cure fans, it's the Holy Hour Podcast, the bi-weekly all-cure podcast. I'm Gavin, and thanks so much for joining us. I hope you're doing well out there. We have a wonderful episode for you tonight. I'm very happy to say that our buddy Arusha has once again stolen the airwaves from us and sharing this wonderful conversation that she recorded recently uh, with you all, and we are forever grateful because this is a good one. You're really going to love this. This is some diehard Cure talk here. She has tracked down three Cure fans that saw the Cure on the 1984 Top Tour, and they're talking all about it tonight, and uh, it expands way beyond that even, and just so much great Cure history being shared um, so we're definitely forever grateful to Arusha and Megan and Darren and Susie for having this conversation and letting us share this as an episode here on the Holy Hour podcast. It's something I've had jotted down and wanted to just figure out a way to to contact people from the start doing this. Of people that have seen the old classic shows from way back when and um, shared it. You know, the pornography tour, the picture tour, all these monumental moments that so many of us missed out on uh, we have actual confirmation of what those shows were like and uh and it's it's truly wonderful and doesn't disappoint so i'm gonna let them take over and cut straight to the chase so be sure to stick around at the end so we can uh you know share our, our patreon love and all our other business there but i want to jump right into this so without further ado, I present to you an entire episode recorded, produced, edited, and shared by Arusha. And welcome, Darren, Megan, Susie. Thanks so much, guys. The best kind of cure talk here on the Holy Hour Podcast. And I do remember distinctly for the top tour, I remember knowing that they were going to tour but without the dates being announced and i literally rang up venues all over the uk to say are the cure playing and if they were i sent off a stamped addressed envelope and i'm sure that before nme announced it i'd got checks in the post for half of those dates already Arusha. I'm taking over the Holy Hour podcast once again, as I usually do, just for fun. Um, and I produced something called Push, a Cure Fan documentary, which after 21 years, I'm still working on a movie. But in the meantime, I make podcasts, zines, and, and one of my favorite things to do is guess what? Talk about the cure. So today I have with me uh, three friends, Megan, Darren, and Susie. Let's give them a nice round of applause, shall we? And we are going to talk about the top. So just to give everyone in the room a little bit of background, um, 
of why this started is I had posted something, I think about the anniversary of the top, and then Susie and another guy named John, they were going back and forth in the, the chat saying, I went to all the top shows. All the UK ones, yeah. <laughs> Hearing anybody say, I went to all the top shows, period. It's like, just to hear anybody say, I went to all of the X amount of shows before 96 is interesting to me. So I'm going to start with myself because I'm the most boring of all of it. I did not see the top. I was 13 and living in Arizona and I barely heard the cure at that point. And my first show was 1986. But I remember like really enjoying the record, but it took me years to really enjoy it. And once I did, I, I just always had it on like when I was doing things, you know what I mean? So I'm very interested in hearing your experiences. So Megan. Well, I'm Megan from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, so 1984 was my first show, and they played in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where the University of Michigan is, and I grew up about 45 minutes away from there, um, and I was 17 at the time, and I had a little Volkswagen Beetle <laughs> that I drove to the show. Um, what stands out? What made you talk about the, the Beetle? Because it was actually a Beetle that had a fiberglass Rolls Royce kit on it. <laughs> so it looked like, it, looked like a, uh, it was a Rolls Wagon. <laughs> so, and so me and all my little Mohawk friends used to drive around in it. <laughs> How many people fit in the car? Oh, I mean, usually there'd be like six or seven. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Was that your first Cure show? <laughs> yeah, that was my first Cure show. Were you like, tell us about like, were you super into them or was it like, oh yeah, here's another gig or another band? Or... Um, I was into them, but I think, you know, not having seen them live before. I mean, I guess I was probably kind of confused about who they were and what they were about because I did have, I had some of the earlier records that my brother used to, he was a professional athlete. <laughs> and so he traveled all around and he would go to like California and whenever he was traveling, he would go into the local record store and ask like, what's cool, what's whatever. And so he would bring all these records back and he went to the UK for an exhibition and he had gotten, I want to say it was 17 seconds in faith and brought them back and had been listening to them. We had porn pornography. And then I think I got kind of confused around the Japanese whispers time <laughs> because I was like, it's okay. I know it's, you know, there wasn't a lot of like forthcoming information. It wasn't like, but there wasn't an internet, and so you didn't really know, like, who was in bands or things like that. And and I don't think that The Cure was getting a lot of, like, international press coverage at that time. So I think maybe I saw videos. And so then I'm like, okay, all right, The Cure's two guys. I, you know, I don't know. And then um, the top came out, and I was old enough and had a vehicle at that point, so I could actually go to the show. And I think I vaguely remember being surprised that there were five people on stage. I just didn't know what to expect. And yeah, I do remember being impressed by the show. Enough so that by the time they came back in 85, I had moved to New York already, and I went to several shows on that tour. That says a lot. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, at that point, I would go see any, I would go to any concert, and 
I think I think that was just at the point where I started really thinking about traveling. And I just did like kind of like the few shows around New York City. And then in 86, I really traveled. <laughs> and also, it wasn't until like 1986 where I think I started to kind of realize that they don't play the same set list every night like a lot of other bands do. And I might, I might still have it somewhere. I have to try to find it. But I decided I wanted to start writing down the set list. And I was at a show and I, I didn't have any like paper. So, but I had a pen and I had my checkbook. <laughs> and so I wrote down the set list on my check register <laughs> for like the first show that I ever like wrote down all the, all the, like the set list for. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> It's also awesome that you had a check, like that term checkbook. Well, that, that's how you paid for stuff. It was before ATM cards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you went to a show, there were, unless like, you know, maybe you took like still pictures. I never really recorded shows, but you, there was no way to remember what they were or what songs were played. <laughs> I guess unless you could find a boot later or something, but... Um, but now you can find a recording anywhere, anytime online. What was it like to revisit it now once you found that bootleg? It was funny just to see, to listen to it and see the set list. I had never really like looked back into like what was my first show. I just remembered where it was and everything. But I loved it in 2016 when they started sometimes opening with Shake Dog Shake. And then to listen to that show and be like, oh, my God, the first live song I ever heard was Shake Dog Shake. And maybe that's why like, I get like so excited when they play that first. Well, that's the other thing that I find really fascinating about all this stuff now is just thinking about like the time period of 1984. I mean, any, any historical subject so we're talking about the cure but when we talk about the cure in 1984 like when i think about 1984 i actually do think about the george orwell book but in america we were in still like a cold war ronald reagan mm -hmm. crappy time period i mean although i was very young i remember it pretty well i just had the sense of of misery <laughs> even though maybe that was just me but so it's interesting to think about like the temperature of like what the top, seeing the top in 1984 was. And Darren and I met in uh, 2016 and we did one of these Holy Hour podcasts and something that you brought up Darren at the time was how interesting looking at like hearing a song like a hundred years is now versus in 1982 because of 1982, mm. because it was black and white and gray and dark. And so, this is my little segue into Darren's experience with the top and the cure and however you want to introduce yourself. So, okay. So, so my first show with the cure was 79 in Malvern. You know, I, I loved them from, I loved the early singles jumping something at someone else's train really got me, but I was, how old was I? I was probably 17 or something um, when those came out. And, uh, but when a forest came out and 17 seconds came out, that's when I really, really got on top on board with the cure so much so that I used to write to Robert um, and Robert used to write back. I didn't go to all the shows. I used to go to two, two or three shows on each tour. But, um, you know, I just I'd love the music. I, I was 17, 18. You know, I was at that time when, you know, you've got hormones and music means a lot more to you. <laughs> You know, and everything you listen to, you know, was... We still have hormones! I know, but, you know... <laughs> you know, I can remember I used to sit under tables writing poetry 
to to in candlelight you know that's that's the sort of thing that i would do because i was just this angst thing was you know teenage late teenage angst was was there and uh and it meant a lot that particularly faith when that came out i mean i even wrote to robert saying i'd make a film of it and he came back and challenged me and said you know what sort of story is it and i started writing the story and you know and then i got on with other stuff and i never never ended up doing it but I used to send him poems and songs and stuff, and he used to send stuff back going, you know, thank you for that. But how I suppose my... Darren, how did you send them? What, I sent what... them to Hawley, to, to Rick, I suppose. There was a P.O. box in Hawley that you could send uh, letters to. So Rick Gallup, I presume, was running the fan relationships. There wasn't so much of a fan club then, I don't think. Susie, you might, you might remember better than me. There no, wasn't really my... a fan club in sort of 80, 81, no, 82. I, I briefly was did some of chris white's stuff but that was later wasn't it yeah yeah it was probably wasn't that cure messaging service it was called for a while wasn't it or something yeah no this is before then this is yeah yeah yeah. i just used to get these letters from robert that said the cure on the top with a drop seat and then po box hawley the thing that you know the i love i'm I'm, I'm leading into the top don't worry i'm getting there (laughs) um but the thing for me was that the Cure were my band, you know, really, you know, they were my band from 1980 onwards. And, you know, I'd started collecting even then. I was, you know, I'd worked in a record store and I'd, I'd get white, white labels and stuff and I would get all the badges and, and, and so on. So I didn't come at the top sort of new to The Cure, as it were. I came because I'd been a fan of theirs over that time. You know, the, the, the sort of zenith of what they did for me with my alongside my hormones was they brought pornography out. And pornography was just like, you know, sit in a corner and you know, really, really feel. It, it was very emotional. And then they brought out Let's Go To Bed. And, and, and I was just completely, you know, as you say, you just said a minute ago, you know what is this and i remember being so excited about it coming out and then going home and putting it on the record player and going "Hmm, what the hell is this i mean i just 100 years and you know cold and all that stuff come out and um hanging garden i suppose was a single and and then they brought out let's go to bed and then love cats came out and it wasn't in my emotional space it was it was sort of they were pop songs and you know the thing that part of the reason why i love the cure is i love robert's voice and you know, so I love those songs, and I got to love love those songs. And but, you know, they did they didn't do the same to me that, as the previous songs had done. Um, One thing I was saying, there was a the conversation between Susie and John Sanders, who you know. John had said, um, "I was just happy to have the band back." It was just so interesting to me because I, I I don't think about the fact that you know, like you were saying, in 1982, it was like pornography. They're kind of kind of breaking up, or Simon leaves, and then. Robert's playing with Susie, but then he does the glove, and then all of a sudden it's Oxford Roadshow. As obsessed as I am, I'm actually not so obsessed that I think about the fact that, like, in in maybe Susie's world, you thought maybe they were Mm. breaking up, or they did break Mm. up, or they're... So, Susie, while we're... Okay. Yeah. Um, Well, I first saw The Cure in 1980, when I was still at school, and I went on my own, having never heard a single song by them. I just went on a whim because I got into going to gigs. Um, and I guess that first night at my at Leicester University, which is where I'm from, um, changed my life, I guess. I came away with the poster and the badge and the T-shirt. I was just completely smitten. I was, I was at that age 
I suppose in the same way Darren's just described, I was a sort of a vacuum for music and for, for new experiences. And, and that period of 1980 was just, there was so much going on in music, so many different sounds and genres. And I just kind of lapped it all up, I guess. But the Cure just hit something inside me. Luckily, they played Leicester again a few months later for the, for the picture tour, the Faith tour. So within six months, I was, I was seeing them again, which was brilliant. And that led me to meet up with a guy who's been a lifelong friend. He had a little second-hand record shop and we met in his record shop and immediately got talking about The Cure. After that, we saw them in Hammersmith Palais in December 81, then four pornography shows. And talking about worrying you're not going to see them again, at the end of the Leicester pornography show Robert said this is the last time you'll ever see us because <laughs> they'd had some big bust up and did a short set which turned out not to be quite true as we saw them the next night in the Hammersmith Odeon but it showed some of the sort of turmoil of the pornography tour. Darren were you at that show? No I saw the pornography shows I saw were Birmingham Odeon I think and mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they played Coventry or not but I, I saw them in the Midlands. That, that was the eight appearances the Coventry one. Yeah. Yes, sorry, getting nerdy with cure dates already. Um, uh, <laughs> That's what we're here I've got, for. I've got my little crib list here with um, oh, 108, 108 cure shows on it that I've been to. Ooh, <laughs> you have it all logged. Uh, do you? Does anyone else have it logged? I do not. I've got it logged online somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, only because I, I just did it last year in Setlist FM. Yeah, I did uh, mine in Setlist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have one hundred and ten. Oh, no, no, God damn it. I can't believe that. No, I, I could count. I can count. Can I count the two cinema experiences? That would make yes. 110. Oh, yes. Then we're equal. Excellent. I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm only at about 65, 70. Oh, something, but oh is that all? Anyway. But I have seen them. <laughs> I've seen them. I've seen them on every tour since seventeen since seventy nine. So seventy nine. You see, yeah. there you go. So um, after the pornography tour, we were really kind of hooked. So we were lucky enough to go to the Elephant Fair in eighty three and the tiny little warm up gigs that were the size of you know hundred hundred and fifty people. We thought, we, you really thought you kind of lost them after pornography and then when he joined the Banshees and the Glove and you're just thinking, oh my God, they've, you know, he's doing all this stuff. And then to have recorded an, a complete full album with the top, I mean, it was all this stuff just pouring out of him between 82 and 84. You know, I saw him with the Banshees and, you know, the Glove did a TV thing and, you know, the Elephant Fair and all of that. and. It was just wow, you know, the, the, just all this stuff going on. It was good to know that he still wanted to do it. You know, what was the elephant fair for the people oh, that don't it's know? Just I know a big open. Uh, well, not probably not that big. It was in Cornwall, so south southwest England. It was a festival, a bit in the middle of nowhere. But those kind of those little warm up gigs they did are, are very highly regarded in people's memories. And they were tiny, Bournemouth and Bath. Mm. Tiny, tiny. The Bournemouth gig had no stage. I, I was literally stood 
five feet in front of Robert, I could have taken one step forward and tapped Robert on the shoulder. It, uh, there, there was no security, no stage. No... And that would have been with who was in the band? That, Phil, Phil, Phil Thornley did that. Phil and okay. Andy. Yeah, yeah. And, and Phil Thornley posted a few things on Facebook a few months ago of some pictures of the Bath one mm. um, and saying that he'd only had a, like a few days to learn all these songs. Like like right. like every new member of the Cure says, like like Reeve said when he joined, you know, had a week to learn fifty songs or whatever. Um, but they would just—it was just this magical time because th- these this band that you'd seen at these what at the time seemed big venues, like two, three, four thousand seaters, and and mm-hmm. there there you were with them in like they were playing in your front room. I've got this weird kind of cure luck that's followed me from the early days um, that whatever I've kind of set out to do, I've been really lucky to do. Like after the Elephant Fair, I saw they were playing in a festival in France and I decided I had to go, I've got no money. I went down to see my mum to see if I could borrow 250 quid to go to France. And I opened my mouth and she said, oh, a letter came for you at home. And I opened it up and I'd won £250 on the premium bonds, which is like a <laughs> uh, sort of a national, <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. amazing. Um, so that got me off to France. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I had the same kind of shocks as, as Darren with the change of direction after pornography. I guess I kind of liked those three singles, even though they were very different. They didn't. The, the fact that they were so poppy didn't perhaps affect me as much as it sounds like it affected Darren. No, I I, I love the Aristocats, one of my favourite animated movies, and the fact sure. that they did something which sort of was in that genre. I loved it. I I like the songs, but the problem was they didn't make me feel like the other songs had made me feel. That was the thing. I mean, everyone went to discos, didn't we? All went to discos, and they play the Love Cats, and everyone, you know, my mum and dad would be jumping around to Love Cats. My mum and dad wouldn't jump around to 100 years. I, tell, or, or, give, or give me it. You know, they wouldn't. They go, what the hell is this? Why but, not? You know, but, but, but much as I loved all those pop singles as they came out over the years, I've found that for me, the magic of them has, has faded. It's like I've heard them all too many times. I wouldn't care if I don't hear The Walk ever again. But if I couldn't hear, you know, Disintegration or 100 Years or burn then I would be a very unhappy person. So yes, so by the time the top tour came around we were really raring to go and up for for just doing as much as we could, myself and my friend Fitz and one or two other friends. But I do remember getting tickets which has become this sort of horror show that everyone has to go through now back then had its own challenges because nowadays if a band play then everyone with an internet connection immediately knows about it and has the opportunity to buy a ticket but back then really the only source of of knowing when they were playing unless Robert was writing to you obviously (laughs) um was um (laughs) he didn't give me he didn't tell me where to get tickets he just said no I'm sure he didn't yeah he just said we're playing Um, in Reading (laughs) right yeah well the New Musical Express, the NME, which came out every week, was really the, the mm. sort of only viable way of knowing about such things. 
And I do remember distinctly for the top tour, I remember knowing that they were going to tour, but without the dates being announced. And I literally rang up venues all over the UK. I rang the box office of wherever, you know, Bristol, Colston Hall, to say, are The Cure playing? And if they were, I sent off a stamped address envelope. And I'm sure that before NME announced it, I'd got checks in the post for half of those dates already, just wow. by wow. brute forcing it. I'm, I'm interested to, in knowing how you got the time to go to all the gigs. Um... I was working in my mum's bookshop, which helped. So time off was kind of easy. And we by then we were recording shows as well. Who's we? So, and um... then the other thing is, how many shows in the UK was that? We is myself and my friend Fitz, who who I got into with the with the taping stuff. Uh, he was selling Cure tapes in his little record shop, and that's how we struck up the conversation. Okay. And uh, how many dates? Well, the top tour in the UK was thirteen shows, but I also went to the recording of the Oxford Road Show, which was a little television performance, and then I went to the Rock Around the Clock in Glasgow later in the year as well. Oh. So that made 15 shows in 1984. Although I don't, I, I don't have memories of all of them. I've got this kind of fractured sort of remember bits very clearly and other ones kind of not at all really. Well, I mean, what's interesting about the, the dilemma of the bootleg is the other thing about that time period is like, oh my God, the, like I would go to the record store and be like, where are the bootlegs, mm. the tapes? Mm. And yeah. then you could get like arrested. <laughs> and now, yeah. Everything <laughs> is on YouTube. Well, of course it is. Yeah, of course. Um, it's the world mm. has changed so so much. <laughs> it's just it's the the internet has changed everything. I mean, when when we got into doing tape stores at Glastonbury, this is before Radio One had got their claws into broadcasting everything on twenty eight channels at once. We would not only sell, we put a thousand different titles out on the stall. But we, we would also take at least a thousand blank tapes with us. We would record the bands at Glastonbury, run back to the stall, <laughs> bang the tape in the high-speed copier, and 10 minutes after you'd seen The Cure on the pyramid stage, you could buy a copy of it in the <laughs> tape store. And it was just the most wonderful, charmed life because we had all this disposable cash we could go to as many wow. concerts as we liked and you mean from the bootlegs yeah for, yeah from 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 just selling tapes and it and a bootleg tape is is the absolute ultimate sales item you can think of because you buy a blank cassette for 60 pence yeah, you you record on it in a in a matter of minutes high speed you make a little photocopied cover for pennies you sell it for five pounds, and if it doesn't sell, you just record over it with something else. <laughs> right. It, it's the ultimate commodity. I bet I've got some of your tapes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope in. so. <laughs> yeah, almost um, certainly. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there, there were a lot of people recording gigs, and the, and in the early eighties to the to eighty eight, eighty nine, there were quite a few tape dealers as well. Mm -hmm. Um. But we took real pride in getting those real good quality recordings, standing in the right place. I listened Did back to one today. Did you have them in like a hat? You, you'd <laughs> have a, <laughs> you'd wear two, two there's, there's 
the best technique there was um, two t-shirts so your microphone and I'm waving my hands about which isn't going to help on a podcast your microphone hooked over one t-shirt and then you had another thin t-shirt on top which covered it but it was getting the rather large Sony professional Walkman in Daniel Pants that was the, uh, <laughs> the somewhat tricky bit. In eighty in eighty four, I was a I was at college in Oxford, um, at the Poly in Oxford, and I was sort of involved on the fringes of the entertainment guys there. So, you know, we were the ones who booked bands for the Poly, and 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 I've got some good tapes from that, Susie, um, which I don't think anyone else has got. But cool, anyway, yeah. um, that's a separate story. That's different bands. But we used to have this TV uh, in the common room, uh, you know, in the bar in, in the poly and Oxford Roadshow was on. And I think it was on at like seven o'clock at night or something. And, and we were in the bar and I just went, I knew it was on, but I'd forgotten what time it was on. And unlike today where you can just go, oh, it's all right, I'll, I'll watch a rerun or I'll download it off iPlayer. You know, that's the only time it would be shown. So I spoke to the head of Ents and said, have you got a blank video? He said, yes. And I said, can I can I put it on and record it? And we forced everybody in the student bar to watch the Oxford Roadshow uh, because I, I was recording it. I've still got the video somewhere. And that was the moment, because when did that, Susie, do you remember when that was the Oxford Roadshow? Uh, Feb- yeah, I happen to have hey, look. Were you there, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, That's okay. my recording of it, which has got the extra track on that they didn't broadcast. Oh, so right. that is the 24th of February, 84. Right, so that would be the first, not the first time probably, because there'd probably been some, some sessions, but I, they, you know, the first, first time I'd really sort of got those songs. Um, and, and they did the tube the week after. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I recorded that because I... Oh, no, I, sorry, in a- April, a couple of months I recorded after. that one. That was yeah. fine. You know, that that started to lift my my lift my spirits or rather did the opposite, which is what I wanted it to do. You know, I just loved the stuff that they'd done. Although, I say, when the album came out, it was a little bit... Because um, there's such a mix on that album. Of, 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 yeah, of different... I love. I mean, Shake Off Shakes is just still an amazing song. Like as you said before, it's you know, it's, it's live. It's I've taken friends to see The Cure, and you know they've sort of turned around to me and their mouths have dropped when that's when that's come on. So you know that that amazing amazing song. But so I think by the time I saw them, which is only that once on that tour, which which show you know, was that by the way? Which I went to the Oxford show, the one that was recorded for concert. So. Just um, to be clear, the Oxford Roadshow wasn't in Oxford. It was in Manchester. Oh, yeah, that was it. it was the, Oxford. the studio oh. was on. That's why it sounds confusing. The studio is on Oxford yeah. Road in Manchester. That's so why yeah, that's I'm looking at confusing. the dates. Yeah. Yeah. 1984, 5-2. Yeah, yeah, here you go. Here you go. Yeah, that's it. Um, There's my ticket. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 5th of May. Yeah. That's the okay. ticket. Cool. Just to put in some context of where yeah, so we are all the, that. They did, they did two TV shows. The Oxford Roadshow in February 18. 84 and then mm. another show called the tube which was in march 84 and then the actual top tour started at, uh, on the 25th of april 84 in newcastle so april 25th 1984 again arusha's in high school ronald reagan what, what was the politics in the uk i think that was minor strike time wasn't it Susie I think okay. I think it was I would think about then my was, my interest in politics was yeah it was 
even less than it is now, and it's yeah. nothing much now. I mean, basically, the Tories had the country had been bankrupt in the in the seventies. Thatcher had come in, and and I'm not going to be political on this call. I'm just going to be historical. But she'd come in, and uh, and basically loads of people were unemployed, and she was basically fighting the unions. Uh. Darren's talking about the miners' strike. He's talking about coal miners. 187,000 British coal miners in the UK went on strike between 1984 and 1985, and it was basically the coal miners versus Margaret Thatcher. In the UK, you had this sort of like, in my mind, because I was a student, so I suppose being a student, you're quite close to these things because there's lots of marches and lots of people talking about the way we should live our lives. So I was really open to all of that going on. And the miners' strike, you know, which was a dreadful thing, was going on. There was lots of, you know, visions of police basically chasing people down the road and hitting them with batons and stuff and lots of marches and and going alongside that was all the cnd stuff all the which relates to what you were saying about the cold war cnd stands for campaign for nuclear disarmament one of many uk organizations calling for unilateral nuclear disarmament with a big second wave in the early 80s i suppose in the uk from my perspective i was never really that political like susie was that it was quite it was quite depressing, I think, in many ways. Uh, but in other ways, it was the music was brilliant. <laughs> a lot of the music that was out there. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, me in high school, I didn't know anything except for that I hated Ronald Reagan and that I actually did have a fear, maybe towards uh, 86 in the United States, that I used to imagine that people would come down in these parachutes, like military people from Russia, because they were songs like, I hope the Russians love their children too, by staying and like, oh, yeah. so. And Two um, Tribes by, um, Two Tribes, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, I think was around that time as well. Right, so we're, so we're in 84, uh, Susie goes to those two shows, sees all of the top, and then we have May, um, Darren um, sees them in Manchester, and then, and then we go. No, no, I, no, no, I see them, that's a confusing thing, I see them in Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 Oxford the Oxford Roadshow is a TV program. It's not a gig. It's a TV program. Oh, so you didn't see them in? No, Manchester. Susie saw them uh, at the studios <laughs> in Manchester. So Susie went to the to the recording of that that show in Manchester. Did you go to sit to the tube as well, Susie? No, I did, I was completely unaware of that until I turned the tube on and there were the Cure. Right. That was the times we were living in, where you just yeah, yeah, it was kind know. of potluck what you what you found out about really, I guess. Those two shows were TV shows, and then the first show was, as you say, Newcastle. Yeah. And then right. I saw them at I saw them at the Oxford Apollo, and but I, and in, I th in May. In May, yeah, in May. Yeah. yeah. And then Megan sees them now. Then we then we scroll through uh, Australia and Japan, and she sees them. Um, I, think what was it, the date? I think it was like November tenth. So Megan, I just noticed, I just noticed yeah. you posted that the miners' strike started right in the middle of all this march the 6th so yeah so there was a lot of there was a lot of you know unrest unrest yeah i've got a picture actually of me it sort of summed up how everyone looked in those days i mean everybody just wore big big overcoats you know badges on the lapels um and you know boots you know i suppose we're sort of quasi military in some respects that was the the way people look so i mean i've i've got this memory of you know, all the gigs, just lots of people in big overcoats. Um, I don't know whether you remember the same, Susie, but... Well, leather jackets, I guess. As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So Susie, you said you remembered the first show very well in the top tour? Very much, because we went up to Newcastle and we flagged our way into the sound check, <laughs> which was um, a bit of a surprise that they let us into a sound. I've been to sound checks before, but I thought that as it was the first day to the tour, they might be a bit more kind of protective, but they, they let about 15 or 20 of us in. And I've just this afternoon had a listen to my recording of that. And it was amazing, actually, really good. And Robert um, does a lovely version of primary where he's testing the microphone and sort of ad-libbing the words. And it really kind of sparkles with excitement, I think. So let's, um, let's play out the scene a little bit. So where did you travel from? From Le Leicester, where I was living. So Newcastle's getting on for a couple of hundred miles north. I, I'm fully aware that in, in the UK you're lucky, be or I'm lucky because to do 13 shows all within travelling distance and to travel, you know, within a couple of hours generally between shows is pretty amazing I can see Megan I know what Megan's thinking she's thinking in America everything's just every gig is so far away that you know they hop from one city to another and it's hundreds and hundreds of miles whereas here it was just a car journey you know I think we probably did train journeys I think another uh, journey by best. train <laughs> yeah train journeys and very crappy cheap bed and breakfast hotels. I was talking to Fitz, my friend, the other day to try and jog my memory. And he remembers that for the Manchester show, the, the bed and breakfast was so bad that we checked into that after the show, we went straight to the train station and went home rather than stop in the hotel, <laughs> which is pretty awful. Sounds about um, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was very much on a shoestring and finding somewhere cheap and just getting about really. I spoke to two friends in the week about this and both of them, the first thing they said when I said memories of the top tour, they both said exactly the same two words, no Simon, mm. which if you'd seen The Cure before the top tour, um, that was a very noticeable thing. My friend Fitz especially got very into Fool's Dance and he... Um, went to a, all of their UK shows and he and another friend went to Amsterdam with Fool's Dance. So he was very into that side of things. I, I went to a couple of Fool's Dance gigs, which were a lot of fun and very entertaining, but I have to say I wasn't that into the music. Fitz fit seemed to really like those, the, the actual songs, but I found them a little bit dull, if I'm honest. So back in Newcastle at the soundtrack, back who, in New waved back in you, who waved what? you in? Just one of the roadies, I think. I can't remember. I know we got into going back a step to, to 1983 and the Fool's Dance stuff. There was Robert's guitar tech, Gary Biddles, who was the singer in Fool's Dance. Uh, Gary got us into the, to the secret Elephant Fair shows, the Bournemouth Midnight Express stuff. I've got strong memories of him letting us in up, up a fire escape for that, into that tiny club. Up the fire escape? Yeah tiny weeny little club yeah yeah and i've got strong memories of gary biddles playing the drums outside on the pornography tour in in the park that the brighton show was uh brighton dome is backed onto a park and he set the drum kit up in the afternoon and played the drums out in the park before the pornography show but that's random <laughs> that's a bit random yeah but anyway so 
Sorry, we're, we're going off on one, aren't we? So anyway, someone let us into this sound check, which was great. And then the actual Newcastle show, that first show of the top tour, um, is one of the very, very few times I got caught taping a concert. Oh. They actually caught me and they marched me to the, to the box office and took my recorder off me, which I thankfully got back at the end. But luckily, very luckily, my friend Fitz, who was stood next to me, was also recording it. So we got a really good tape anyway. And I got my machine back. I thought you were going to say, luckily, I didn't get kicked out. Oh, no, well, I've, yeah, but that's my cure luck kicking in. They won't, I'm not going to get kicked out. My cure luck's too strong for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susie, t- this Simon thing is really interesting because, of course, mm. like, you knew going into that show that, that Simon wasn't going to play, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how how was um, hearing them after seeing Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely not the same. The sound seemed a bit flat on all of it, all the bits I've played, all the clips. And the older stuff, the, the, they played a lot of pornography stuff, but not really any faith stuff on that tour or on the, bit, on the bits I looked at anyway. They did swap the sets, but the pornography tracks they played seemed a little sort of urgent and frenetic and not not having the depth that that they had on the pornography tour and the sort of the majesty that they gained later on so was it was phil thornelli on that whole tour yeah okay yeah yeah i was i was listening to that and um like my impression of his bass playing it was good but it's more like strummy it's almost like he comes at it as a guitarist rather than a percussion bass player yeah yeah i mean it's interesting to to think about it this way because megan that was your first show and they did a good enough job you being somebody megan that has seen you're not just some person with gum on their shoe about concerts you go to a lot of gigs (laughs) you know what i mean like you're not like oh i'm just gonna go get get wicked and and party you you're into music so they played a good enough show that that you're like oh I want to see this again. So it's interesting to see, you know, to have the perspective. Um, and then also, Darren, we, we were we were inching back up to you coming into that top tour, that one show. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the show, I mean, the, the thing about the venues that we saw The Cure in probably throughout that sort of period up to 84, after 84, they started playing bigger venues. So they played, you know, they played the NEC, for example, you know, the head on the door tour sort of got made. They were a lot bigger, but the Oxford Apollo is probably what I don't know, two thousand people maybe. It's it's a it's a it's a regional rep theatre that really puts on you know musicals and plays. The sort of plush, old, really old, worn out plush sort of velvet seats, mm. li- lines of them, uh, with all these young people with big overcoats, um, and sort of a bit tat- a bit tacky. The venues are a little bit tatty and a little bit run down. A bit like, you know, we're saying we're feeling like the country's sort of a bit run down. They probably were in their prime, probably in the 50s or something, you know, post-war. And, and, and the Oxford Apollo, I think, you know, it's the sort of place that you get a, somebody selling you ice cream wafers, at, at, you know, in the interval. And, <laughs> and you'd go and, and they, wouldn't, they wouldn't change that if there was a band on. So you'd go and you'd still get the same refreshments as if you would get, as if you'd gone to see a pantomime there or you'd gone to see a... <laughs> another show and then there'd be a little somewhere there'd be 
a table where they'd be selling a few t-shirts and a few programs mm. and stuff so going in it's always you're always really excited and then a band would come on and everybody forget there's any seats there you know everybody would just rush down the front and if you couldn't go down the aisle you'd climb over the seats and that little gap that's between the stage and the front seats you know everybody would would jump into that and and then there'd be some bored looking girlfriends and boyfriends <laughs> sitting there being taken by people who don't really like banana fish bones so, Megan, I was wondering if you remember, was Ann Arbor a big Not venue? big. It's pretty small. It? It's kind of like, it's a theater. So it's sort of like a small, mm. not as fancy version of like the Beacon in New York. But it has, it's like sort of set up the same way. There's like a ground level and then there's like a balcony. And there's like, I don't remember, right. but I, I feel like there's like red velvet curtains and you know like red velvet seats and that you know yeah and definitely like i think it was like a there was a merch just like a table i don't remember any kind of refreshments or anything like that but um yeah but it was like a small theater venue and definitely not like other places i mean i think at that point i had seen a couple of shows at probably like basketball arenas at universities there were, i saw adam ant at like a kind of like an amphitheater in toledo um i guess shows just kind of happened wherever shows could be booked at that time but it wasn't but i think like, it's also the the venue that you saw the cure in 1984 is a product of the cure not being known you know just being a smaller band in america because bruce springsteen would have played wherever or mm, i don't yeah. know chuck Kahn. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think is interesting about talking to Susie and Darren about this. Right. You know, is just thinking like a band like The Cure for somebody like me at that time was it was so hard to find out information about them. And they came from your country, which was to me was like a magical place where everyone's cool. Yeah. So the <laughs> the capacity was 1700. I can't remember if it was full or not. I was on the floor. I didn't go up to the very front, and I think I did probably sneak up, like, jump seats, like, a few rows, um, but I didn't go, like, all the way up to the front. Usually, I mean, it. I have to, I'm only about five feet tall, so I have to find a spot where I can see, so, so sometimes <laughs> if there's, like, either people are spread out enough that I can see between them, or there's enough shortish people in front of me, then I just stay where I'm at, but... Um, Probably people were smoking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting to think about, right? Cigarettes, weed. Cigarettes, mainly. Everybody smelt of cigarettes in those days. Everywhere you went smelt of cigarettes. It's a little bit, like, seedier, but I don't know. I mean, it may be just because I'm glamorizing my growing up days, but it just seemed like, like, Darren, when you're talking about the passion of anything, I think part of the passion... For some people, not all people, is it, you know, it has dissipated because we they have access to everything now. Mm. And for us, it was like a little bit like imagine the trench coats and the cigarettes, and yeah. here's the tape, and you want a shot, you know, yeah. like things were just a little grimy. Yeah, but, but in a way, I mean, what Susie describes, you know, really exciting. If you're if you're you know young and you know, you've got the ability to, to travel and go into stay in horrible bed and breakfasts, go and see the cure, you know, get there early and see some um, pre-show sound checks. You know, that's that that's really exciting. You know, who cares what the weather's like and who cares that everyone smokes and who cares that the miners strikes on? Who cares how you get there or how you get home or 
whether you're stuck on a train platform till six yeah. in the morning for the first train because you missed the last one, you know, none of it, nothing mattered. It's the effort. But it's the energy of youth, isn't it? <laughs> now you worry about getting booked into the hotel the second you've booked the ticket because right. you don't want to have to walk too far or get a tube or, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, the last time I, the last time I camped, um, I swore it would be my last and that was a French festival in 2005. Right. You know, that was God 16 years ago or whatever. I mean, I, I, would, also, I would camp, but not if I could avoid it, you know. <laughs> but I also think that, you know, it's about our age as much as, as the venue itself. Yeah. So for the for the reflection shows in the Albert Hall, you know, I got a box. <laughs> no, I didn't buy, I mean, I didn't buy a box. I bought a seats and they were in a box, but wow. if you see what I mean. Yeah. You know, because I couldn't get store, I couldn't get standing seats. So I, you know, they, those are the ones I got. So, <laughs> uh, and I just think about that, that you get served at, during the interval. By yeah, people coming round, sure. going, what would you like? I'm so, thinking that Robert's just finished off singing Faith, and someone's coming round. Would you like a? Would you like a, You know something. The top tour specifically is in this in-between time of where it was like the band started, they gelled with Simon, Faith, 17 Seconds, Pornography, then this like weird in-between era, and then even within the top tour there's tumultuous stuff going on. I had actually forgotten that Coral um, joined the tour. And I know that sounds weird, but when Susie first said there were five people, I was like, five people? Because when I think at the top, I think Robert, Lowell, Andy, and Phil for some reason. I don't know why. And then when I was looking back into the concert history, this is something I never knew. So you know we have Andy Anderson, and then Boris took over just a few concerts before Megan saw them, but they had this guy, Vince Eli. Mm -hmm in the middle. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. It's from the Psychedelic mm, Furs. Yeah. So I don't think, Susie, you you probably saw no. all Andy. All Andy, because and Andy played on Rock Around the Clock, which was in August. August, like 25th of August. So yeah. And by the way, Andy. listen to that, that Ann Arbor YouTube show and listen to how amazing Boris is for have just taken over. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I will do. Yeah. yeah, Japan's where Andy left, wasn't it? That's right. Susie, do you remember um, at the time if all those new newish people made a mark on you, or if there's anything that stood out? If you uh, remember anything, it, it definitely felt felt different. I, the top's not one of my favourite albums at all, especially in hindsight. Obviously, Shake Dog Shake and the top track itself are wonderful, but I'm not really a fan of of that I, I think they went on to so much greater stuff once it got dark again once we got around to kiss me and then obviously disintegration is the the pinnacle <laughs> no, don't not. let hughes no. don't no, let no, hughes no, hear not. you there no, no it's not <laughs> uh anyway that, yeah. I, 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 do, I do have a view on that but i, I okay. won't necessarily bring Let's, it uh anyway the disintegration but, show with the Baker and friends. Oh mate, I saw I saw eleven prayer tour shows and that was just such a joy. All anyway, right, we're anyway, gonna run out yeah, of time. Yeah, 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 yeah let's not go there. Bullshit. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> I actually, I love the top. It's not, 
It's not my favorite record, and I don't think it symbolizes the best of the cure by any means, but it's so interesting. It's one of those albums that I'll just listen to. You know, it's like so up and down. That's it. That's it. It's it. it and, you know, it's just got such different songs on it. Wailing Wall is my probably one of my favorite, oh, so great. One of my favorite songs, Cure songs. I mean, I'd never make a list of best Cure songs, although Lament is definitely in the top five. Yeah. They did play forever all the time and I don't I don't really know what the origin story is behind forever it's, other than that it's isn't the base it's the baseline to three, isn't it? It is. Right. It's, it's basically yeah. three, yeah. It's three sort of thrashed out to its pornography type yeah. beefed up, isn't it? Yeah. But isn't it interesting that he played it a lot on the top? The top was like sixty four shows. I was looking at some of the set lists. Sometimes they end on the caterpillar. <laughs> And sometimes they end on <laughs> on forever. It's like a slightly different tone, isn't it, for people walking out at the end? And they also he also did it after um, Killing an Arab, which is interesting because mm. I'm so yeah. used to hearing it after mm. a forest, mm. if at all. And also, actually, so we could talk about this shit forever. Why is it so interesting? The tape. Oh, I think back that to like curiosity some- tape. Yeah. yeah. Can, can that I came pl- out. can I please have a moan about that terrible compilation? I love of, it. Yeah, but it, oh god. <laughs> I mean, if I'd have got the job, right? Goodness me, some of the sound quality on some of that is shocking. Mate, what on what planet was presumably Robert on when he thought, "Oh, this is a good snapshot of the cure recorded in the toilet somewhere when he must have all the <laughs> all the mixing desk tapes to it all. What what is that about? <laughs> I love it. You know, it's brilliant because you were a taper. Oh, Meanwhile, I'm in like yeah, well, Arizona. Yeah, you, you can get to... whatever you can get. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm of that. I'm of that. I thought it was great that they brought it out. I mean, personally, I love the fact that they. A couple of tracks that I'd seen live were on it. Well, um, apparently the, the recording of All Mine, which is another version of Forever, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. From the Hammersmith Odeon pornography tour, is a, uh, I'm reliably told, is my mate Fitz's recording of it. Oh, so wow. quite why Robert was So that's obviously you. a really good recording on that. It's the best recording on that, on that <laughs> cassette. Probably. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But why wouldn't you use... Like the mixing desk one of it. I, know. I just don't understand. Anyway, that's the end of my my wine. But I'm pleased. I mean, I love the fact that they do that. I wish I would have seen that era um, because I find Andy Anderson an interesting human. I find Phil Thornally, you know, it's interesting to me looking back and thinking like, okay, so he was a producer on pornography who, you know, Robert said, hey, you want to play in the band? And so he did that. You know what I mean? So it's and then in Lowell, like moving into this other position. Hey, I, I think um, it was widely thought that Paul, because Lowell and Paul had keyboards, didn't they? And it was widely believed that mm. Paul was there to do the more complicated bits that, that Lowell couldn't quite muster up yet. Yeah. Do, you, do either of you, Darren or Susie, remember people jumping ship? Like fan friends of yours that were like, screw this band. Uh, no, all, all my lot were. I think myself and Fitz kind of dragged everyone into it. We I moved out of home when I was quite young into a little bedsit, and then as people in that house moved out, I moved all my friends in. 
So it became this kind of crazy house of all my mates, music-loving mates, who we kind of dragged into the whole sort of crazy journey of it all. Just on another slight side point, when, when Fitz got into all the Falls Down stuff, Fitz was in a in a band as well. And because Fitz had seen Falls Down so many times, uh, Simon and one of his friends came up to Leicester to see Fitz's band play and stopped the night at our crazy house. So we had a big house party. Um, what was Fitz's band? They were called This Picture. Be- oh. Before another band later, years later, who were also called This Picture. But yeah, that was that was a bit of a crazy night when Simon came and stopped the night. We, we had to hide all the racks of tapes <laughs> for a start. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and, th- and then we went back down to... Hawley the next day with Simon which was the day of Live Aid and oh, wow. and we went to the pub that night King's Head and, yes King's Head in Hawley that's it with Simon and Simon's mate Charles who was a bit of a character as well do you know do you remember if this Charles person was in uh, Lockjaw with him or something Charles was a pharmacist and worked in a chemist <laughs> interesting yeah I remember Charles he was a real big larger than life character Okay, for a geography reference, if London London yeah. is central, yeah. Horley and Gatwick are south of London. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you are where? Uh, 100 miles north of London, so Leicester. So Leicester's yeah. here, and so the show, the Fool's Dance show was where? Where was it? This picture show. Oh, that, that was, oh the, the, when Simon came to Leicester, that was, yeah, but Fool's, uh, I saw a couple of Fool's Dance. One on uh, the night before Christmas Eve, which was, I think, the last... The last Fool's Dance I remember, where Robert turned up and stood at the mixing desk. And it's widely believed that that is when Robert and Simon got friendly again and got back together. Because that was Christmas 84. Did you see them kiss the makeup? I didn't say them kiss, but they were but they were definitely... Uh, and that gig was so small, that must have been 50 people. And I set my recorder recording on the top of a piano that was just like a function room with a piano in it so that I could don't jump around and dance next to it. That's brilliant. And I also went to an even smaller Fool's Dance gig in, a, in an adventure playground in London that was pitch black, dark, and it was like a clubhouse in a, the middle of a park with like swings and stuff outside. And there must have been 25 people there. It was so weird. That's great, though. Just this really weird... Brilliant. Yeah. Darren, did you ever see Fool's Dance or Susie? No, with... no I didn't. I didn't have any of what you were just saying. So I, I, if I meet people that I went to school with um, now, there were one or two of them that come up to me and go, Darren, the cure, the cure. <laughs> Be, I mean, because I was, I was just like the big cure fan at school. And, yeah. and there are people that I take to gigs now take i buy tickets for, for to gigs because they don't necessarily know they're happening that there are friends of mine from that era that liked the cure but have never really been a big fan but i they like the band all the people that i know that like the cure to the extent that we all do are all people that i've met at concerts i didn't have a group of cure mad friends i had a group of people who like who like that sort of music um uh, altered images to you know chuck berry even played you know we we just loved ev- we just loved music full stop and and i just happened to be the one who wore eyeliner and black coats um all the time and and you know crimp my hair up people thought it was funny um <laughs> and i just didn't mind 
<laughs> I I mean, I have a lot of really good memories of, you know, driving around in my car, listening to the top over and over again and singing along with my friends. I think, and I feel like it was in the summer. <laughs> so to me, it has a very like summery kind of, you know, druggy, psychedelic feel. I showed you a Rusha. I still have, I've got a little stuffed polar bear wearing earmuffs that my friend gave me at about that right time. And she put a little tag on the the top of the earmuffs that says, but it's impossible. And I still have that. <laughs> Cause it was like, it was like, that was like a summer for us. Be because it was, as uh, although I've sat here and said that it wasn't my favorite album, it was one of my favorite times of my life because 19 years old and got that smell of freedom and you know freedom from living at home and my parents and all the rest of it so it, it was the whole experience was just a joy to be just out doing something totally different you know it's mm -hmm. so and and it shaped my life you know isn't that strange I don't think that the fact that The Cure has had such an impact on our lives is like, oh my God, it's so, you know, it's such an anomaly, but I don't know. It's just over the years, I'm like, wow, this band has just had such an impact it, on it's, my life. It's, it's the live shows. It's definitely the live stuff that gets you hooked, isn't it? You know, and, and for, it's all very well me sitting here saying, how many shows have you been to? But full marks to you guys, because... It's easy, like I was saying earlier, it's easy for me to jump on the train to London to see them and it's a couple of hours or whatever. But in America, you just to go to, you know, half a dozen shows is not only the time, it's the money and the, you know, that's commitment. Did you, do you know what we did on the Dream Tour? We rented a van for a month to drive wow. around the whole, yeah, six yeah. weeks to drive around wow. the whole country. And Brilliant. we had different people in the van at different times, but it was all part of our group. You, you and if you and if you were bit. there, yeah. the van cost X amount of dollars a day, $50 a day, something like that. And Brilliant. if there were wow, five people really in the van cool. that day, yeah. you put your $10 in the, in the glove box. <laughs> That's how we did it. <laughs> we saw a bunch of shows together in 2016. And it was classic, Susie, because these group of girls some who dropped out and didn't go but megan and jennifer were like well you know i mean we all were like well you know i'm i can't can't do this forever but i'll never forget we were at the Merriwe merryweather post pavilion which is like this big outdoor venue that we've actually been to a lot and it has the lawn back here and then seats and megan's like yeah i don't feel i'm i'm not feeling so great and whatever but as soon as they let us in she's running to the front <laughs> Well, that's just, it's because I I played roller derby and I'm competitive and everybody's running and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like getting in, I'm like in front of everybody. I get to the rail first. <laughs> I'm like, you're not beating this 49 year old. I love it. <laughs> I love it these days. The fact that I've got mm. people around the world that, you know, we all share these experiences with each other or we've got a point of view on something and we. We can or can't, we, we either can or we don't have to get involved in the conversations, but it's great to know that there's a big conversation out there. Listen, I'm gonna to have to make a move in a minute. I'm it's sorry. been really nice talking to you, Darren. It's, it's great, it's interesting. I, I could talk for another three hours, it's just I've got things to do, unfortunately. 
you know, brilliant. Thank you. And thanks, Arusha, for, for, for setting it up. Mm. Thank you. Lovely seeing everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And in the great words of Peggy Lee, is that all there is? Is that all there is to a podcast? I want to thank everybody for listening to uh, this takeover by me um, of the Holy Hour podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And I wanted to add a little postscript about where we are uh, in life. As uh, I recorded this in, I don't know, May or June or something. It was um, before Simon Gallup made an announcement on Facebook that he's leaving the cure. So getting back into this podcast was interesting for me, this recording, because we talked about the top with no Simon and what that would be like. But I just want to say for the record, uh, you know, a Facebook comment is a Facebook comment. It's not a press release. So don't believe the hype, man. Have a little faith, as they say. And uh, I think... uh, my prediction for the future is we're going to get an album by the end of the year and an announcement of a tour. And uh, I think it'll be a great Christmas present. So that said, thanks so much again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did in the making of it. Have a wonderful night, weekend, whatever, and see you on the flip side. Over and out, team. Right. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Can't thank you enough, Arusha, for making this happen. Megan, Darren, and Susie, thank you so much for sharing your stories and time with us. Uh, could listen to you guys talk classic cure stories all day. It's a real treat. So if you ever feel the urge again, definitely let us know so we can hear more. Um, always welcomed, and, and thank you so much. Uh, it's just crazy to to imagine, you know, something we talk about constantly on this show is those drastic shifts in cure sound, whether it be, you know, getting poppy with Kiss Me to, uh, you know, the, the shock of the fans when Friday Men Love came out or something, or uh, the surprise of 13th as a single, but going back all the way to those early, much more epic shifts, really. Um, we've always been curious to get firsthand accounts of what it been, must have been like, you know, within a two-year span of going from the end of pornography into the singles, the Japanese Whispers singles, and, and how Cure fans at the time must have reacted. And uh, really cool just to hear that perspective. So uh, finally, we get to shed some light on that with first-hand accounts of this transition period of Robert basically rebuilding the band on that tour and uh, keeping them as a full band from that point on. So very cool. So I uh, just want to wrap up with a big shout-out to our Patreon crew. You guys are awesome and appreciate your support of the show. Donna, Craig, Jeff Hilton, Jeff Cortland-Jones, Suzanne, John, Ben, Alan, Allison, 
and Kate, who has an amazing online shop at curethreads.com that offers all kinds of products that include original Cure-inspired artwork and designs created by Kate. And for the rest of October, Cure Threads is excited to share with Holy Hour listeners a super secret discount. All you have to do is follow her at Forget About Stars on Instagram and then send Kate a message of any sort. And she'll send you back a family and friends coupon code of 20% off the entire store. And the coupon will be good all the way through midnight on Halloween, October 31st. And all orders over 50 bucks will also receive free domestic shipping. So all you gotta do is follow and message Kate on Instagram at Forget About Stars, and you'll receive your 20% off code. And you know what? It might be a smart idea too to start your holiday shopping now. The way things got all backed up last year, and it's bound to be iffy this year too. So get an early jump on it, or at least start you know casually leaving around your wish list or not so subtle clues to your family and loved ones, and uh, let them know that they can't go wrong by looking for gifts for you at CureThreads.com. And of course, our buddy Scott Kruger, who you should check out his podcast. The Star Wars podcast, Sarlacc Digest, they go live every Monday night on YouTube at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Um, They hash out all the latest news and rumors and line talk, everything Star Wars related. And of course, Matt would like you to consider checking out the Red Cross blood donor app during the pandemic. Blood donations are much needed with this app. You can not only set up an appointment to donate your blood, but you can also track where it's gone afterwards. Um, If you'd like alternatives to the Red Cross but still want to donate blood, feel free to check out Team Rubicon, AmeriCares, as well as just your local hospitals and blood banks to directly donate. Um, I lost three-fourths of my blood in a car accident once. I've talked about kind of in passing here. So it's important to get that blood out there and save some lives. Lisa would like the Cure fans out there and beyond to know about Dickens, a pub slash venue up in Calgary. Once again, its doors are open and hosting a wide range of live shows and events and uh, the best kind of dancing and drinking you could ever hope for. So go check out DickensYYC.com to get all the scoop on what they have to offer. Our own Chaz Murphy is also in creative mode as always, not only cranking out new episodes of his wonderful new podcast, The Excommunication Station, where he delves into the trials and tribulations of growing up in the church, but also whipping up so many cool Cure-themed t-shirt designs at 17 Seconds Shirts. So go on over to 17secondshirts.bigcartel.com and check out what he has up for pre-order at the moment or just follow him at 17 underscore seconds on Instagram to uh, see what's on the horizon. Okay, on top of that, just be sure to subscribe and, and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We got Instagram at the Holy Hour Podcast, where pretty much all our immediate announcements will come out there first. And you can follow each episode um, on the Facebook page, the Holy Hour Facebook page. Go on over if you want to chime in in particular and comment on each episode. Were you at the 1984 Top Tour? If you have some stories you'd like to share or thoughts on that tour, go on over and contribute in the thread there. We'd be happy to hear what you have to say and uh, tell us your two cents on that or just on the show as as a whole. So uh, always welcome there. 
And uh, just email me if you, if none of that fits the bill. GavinConnor at gmail.com. You can drop me any comments, questions, suggestions on past or future episodes. Always love to hear from you. So that'll do us for now. Again, a very special thank you to Arusha. Always a treat getting these uh, bonus episodes from you. And you guys out there, be sure to check out CureFanDocumentary.com where you can see all of uh, Arusha's social media links and get updates on Push, a Cure Fan documentary, and order her Cure fanzines. Push fanzine out there. They're wonderful. Um, so go track them down over there. And uh, again, thank you to Megan, Darren, Susie. You guys are awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Talk hard. <laughs>